Stand to your feet. We're going to read Acts chapter 8. Now, I need to let you know before I read it. I've, I had a couple people in the last couple weeks say, man, you know, you're preaching. It's like you're preaching right at me. And to which I respond, like your spouse called me this week and told me everything you did. And so I was like, all right. So here, here's what happens. If you will call me before Wednesday, I can get it in the sermon. All right, let's just work that out. If you call me before Wednesday, I can get in the sermon. No, have you noticed I'm just preaching through Acts? We talked about Stephen being stoned last week. We're talking about the next chapter this week. So if I happen to be talking to you, it's not because I knew anything about you. It's not because anybody called me and said, hey, do you know what so-and-so is doing this week? You think you might want to preach about that? Nope. If this touches you, it's because God already knew. That's it. And so what you do, anybody out here interested in being a preacher? Here's what happens. You just preach through the Bible and then you're not guilty of knowing anything about anybody. I'm just preaching chapter eight today. Last week we did chapter seven. We're doing chapter eight today. If you're convicted about chapter eight, that's not my problem. It's just chapter eight. Amen. So now everybody can just take a deep breath, breathe it out. You're like, oh, he's not out to get me. Been here the last three weeks. It's just right in my living room. I ain't that smart. I'm glad nobody said amen over that. That was a great place to be silent. Chapter eight. You know, when they busted the Bible up in chapter and verse, it seems to me, I, wanna, I always want to start off on a positive note. Go ahead and put verse one of chapter eight up. And Saul approved of the execution. You'd think they would be able to put that on the, on the previous. But that's where it starts. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip, they saw this and saw the signs he performed. They all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, I'm going to skip down to verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And this is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. 
And as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is this prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And as they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away like a, like a Star Trek, beam me up Scotty. And the eunuch did not see him again. But when he went on his way rejoicing, Philip, however, appeared at Azotus, traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Father, we thank you today. Thank you in difficult times. Your gospel continues to reach people, continues to transform lives. And we thank you that it can still do that today. We pray, Lord, because we looked into your word that it would transform us. Make us more like Jesus because we were here together today looking into your word intently. Change us, God, for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, amen and amen. You may be seated. Stephen is dead. Chapter 8 starts out with Saul of Tarsus approving of his killing. Stephen's dead and a great persecution led by Saul breaks out in the church. The Bible says that those that are persecuted are scattered out to Judea and Samaria. Now it does say that the apostles stayed in the Jerusalem. Scholars believe that the apostles may have gained such notoriety that they that the that the rulers in Jerusalem decided to kind of leave them alone. But the more, uh, the more unnamed Christians or unpopular, unfamiliar Christians or Christians that weren't known by, they started persecuting them. Now, I need to preface, uh, not really preface, but I need to add something in here. We, we oftentimes in our, in our American version of the way we read the gospel, we oftentimes try to associate with things in the, in the early church account and try to correlate them to things that are happening to us currently or, or, or things that happen to our lives. I heard, I heard a friend of mine uh, teaching in Africa one time. He was in a certain passage in Hebrews, and he said, if you're not suffering physical, difficult, physical oppression because of the gospel, this is not the verse to apply to your life. So what happens is when... In, a, in our American version of this, we say, oh, I had a bad day at work today and I'm oppressed like the early church. No, no, no. You had a bad day at work. You ain't leaving your house. You're not, well, I had, a, you know, it's just so much oppression. No, no, no. These people were being locked up, chained, leaving everything they had and moving out of their town. Not because there was an economic difference, because of the gospel. It wasn't because they were sick. It wasn't because, it was because they were followers, followers of Christ. They were being persecuted to the place where they had to leave their friends. They had to leave. And so I always try to warn people, don't apply something like that 
to having a bad week at work because it ain't the same thing. Amen? We need to get some calluses on our spiritual hands if you understand what I'm saying. Because sometimes in the American softness of the gospel, we try to say it's so bad and really it's nowhere near as bad as what the first century church experienced. So, they're persecuted, and Saul is really, really good at it. Starts locking them up, they start fleeing, scattering. They scatter themselves to Judea, out to Samaria, and the Bible says that they preach this gospel everywhere they go. They preach the gospel everywhere they go. So, we find out that Philip is one of the people that gets scattered to Samaria. He's the one under persecution. He's one of the guys that goes out to Samaria. Now, we, we remember Philip from last week because Philip was one of the seven, along with Stephen, who was picked to feed people who were not being fed. Wait, wait tables, if you want to call it that. And so here we have another example of somebody who accepted what, se- what was seemingly a remedial job in the kingdom... And ends up going out preaching the gospel with such force, it's unbelievable. Remember, don't despise small beginnings, amen? And so he goes out to Samaria and he says he starts preaching the gospel and healing the sick and casting out demons. I mean, it's a miraculous thing. So he gets to Samaria, he starts preaching immediately, healing the sick, casting out demons, and they said the town was full of joy. Wouldn't you be full of joy? I mean, when the gospel shows up, people get happy. Because if you're forgiven, it changes your attitude. Some of you are still wondering. He preaches. There's a guy named Simon in the town he's in who's been a sorcerer for a long time. A very popular guy. He's very good at what he does. He's believable. He's doing some crazy stuff. And he's pretty powerful in the town. Well, he starts, follow, he starts seeing what Philip is doing and he starts following him around. Well, he starts to believe in what Philip's saying, that Jesus is the Christ. And so he starts to believe it. So, so he, 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 he does the whole deal. Well, the church in Jerusalem, remember the apostles are still back in Jerusalem. So Peter, they hear about what's happening in Samaria with Philip and the success the gospel is having there and the power that God is pouring out in those towns in Samaria. And so they send Peter and John to Samaria where Philip is to check it out. Well, when the, well, when Peter and John show up, they start laying hands on new Christians and they start being filled with the Holy Spirit. To which Simon the sorcerer replies, remember, he just came to Christ. How much offering do I have to put in the plate to get that? It's Chris's paraphrase. Can you just be nice to new Christians? Can you do that for me a second? People that just come to Christ, just start to figure it out. Maybe you've been, uh, maybe you've been following Christ for 20 years and they're just now figuring it out. That's this guy. You got, he's been, a, he's been lived a life of sorcery and, and, and doing all this satanic stuff. Now he comes to Christ and he's just like, still got a little devil in him. You know what I'm saying? Paul says you wrestle with the flesh the whole time. So I know a bunch of you. I do know this, including myself. You came to Jesus, but that sanctifi- sanctification thing is still working itself out. How many say amen about that? Becoming like Christ is a lot harder than deciding you're going to follow him. 
<laughs> Some days I wake up like, ooh, I am terrible at this. So he's a brand new Christian. So Peter, John laying hands on people, seeing these miraculous things happen, people full of the Holy Spirit. And Simon goes, hey, I want some of that. How much would it cost? I mean, I got a 50 on me. What do we, can we work out a deal? To which Peter has no patience whatsoever. He spins around at him and basically says, you and all this stuff can go to you know where. To which Simon replies, whoa, dude, I don't want that to happen. <laughs> I believe he repents, starts to figure it out. I've, and I figured this out. I would never want to be corrected by Peter. It's like, dude, I made a mistake. No, you're going to hell. I'm like, okay, like, sorry. So that's that little session we skipped. Then we, right after that, we start this kind of parallel story almost where Philip hears from an angel, go walk down this road. Now, I need you to understand something. Philip is in Samaria having, having like a, Billy Graham crusade on steroids. It's every preacher's dream. He's laying hands on the sick and they're recovering. People or masses are coming to Christ. And, and it's a really good gig. And he hears an angel say, hey, I want you to go walk down this road. What? It's not a road that a lot of people travel. It's, Why would I do that? But Philip agrees. Philip just starts walking down that road. And he and, and then he sees an Ethiopian. He's actually the treasurer uh, for the queen of Ethiopia. He's holding a pretty high position. He's coming back from worshiping. He's, a, he's an Egyptian, but he's a God-fearing Egyptian. He's not Egyptian. He's Ethiopian. He's a God-fearing Ethiopian. So he comes, he's returning. Philip sees him. And the angel then says to Philip, go and stay by that chariot. So what happens is Philip walks over the chariot and guess what he hears? He hears the Ethiopian treasurer reading scripture. Not only reading scripture, but reading scripture specifically talking about Jesus. Philip walks over to him, hears him talking about it. And then Philip says, Hey, do you understand what you're reading? He goes, how can I, unless somebody explains it to me. And then he, he says, come on up and explain it to me. He starts at that scripture and presents the whole gospel to this guy. And the guy says, man. Now, what it doesn't record is that Philip said, hey, if you bow your head, close your eyes, raise your hand. It says the Ethiopian said, hey man, I see water. What's keeping me from being baptized? Philip said, ain't nothing keeping us from being baptized except stopping this chariot and getting out. Let's do it. And so they get out of the chariot, go down to be baptized. And then Philip does a Star Trek beam me up thing. And I'll see each other again. We're going to dig into this, but I think there's some awesome things to see in this portion of scripture in Acts chapter eight. I know there's a lot of people in here like to plan out things and you're going to hate this whole sermon. Just want to warn you that up front, give that little disclaimer. Preaching in Samaria with great success, God tells him to leave and go walk down this road that seems like not, what, maybe not real effective, but okay, whatever. 
And, um, and he does it. He runs into that guy. You cannot separate the idea that Philip is a Jew and he's preaching in Samaria. Everybody understand what I'm saying there? I'm going to explain it here in a second. Now, I seem to remember seven chapters ago, Jesus saying something about the early church preaching in Samaria. Does anybody remember way back when we started this suddenly series? I mean, Acts chapter one, verse eight, it's, Jesus is telling him before he ascends into heaven, uh, he says, and you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Right? In Jerusalem. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop there. He says, Jerusalem. Then the next place he says is, does anybody know? Judea. And then the next place he says is Samaria. And then the next place is, he says, to the ends of the earth. So all the way back in Acts chapter 1, the beginning of Acts, Acts chapter 1, 8, it says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Okay, now any good pastor leader, any, any org, organizer type person would say, okay, he said we were going to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So here's what we got to do. We got to get a vision statement. Get a vision statement, get a plan together. We're going to organize people. We're going to say, okay, you know what? You go to Judea. Yep, you go. And, and we'll, we'll send you some money and keep you, uh, give you everything. And then we're going to get some people to go some, oh, is a problem with Samaria. See, Samaritans were like people with no people. It's like they were Jewish, but not Jewish because they were only half Jewish, but they were half Gentile. They were half not Jewish blood, but they weren't fully Gentile people. So they, they were kind of half of everything. And so accepted by nobody. Everybody understand that? And so the Jews literally hated Samaritans. So I imagine in that church meeting, they were like, yeah, you go. They picked the guy that causes the much trouble in the church and they tried to, you know, that's, that's how you send missionaries sometimes. Mm, some of you know that's truer than you think. So here's the issue. You work up this plan, you're going to reach everybody. Man, I'm so excited. Jesus said we're going to go to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We got to come up with a plan. We got to exercise. We got to, we got to execute. We got to be right. We got to raise the funds. We got to get the organization. We got to get a good vision statement. We got to get it all together because it's going to be so good. And nobody planned on Saul of Tarsus. The church never plans on Saul of Tarsus. The church never plans on Stephen being stoned to death. And so what happens is when things like that happen, we go, oh man, what's, God, what are you, what's happening? I don't understand anymore. Like we had this beautiful plan to reach the whole world and you messed it up. You let Stephen get killed. Now Saul of Tarsus is persecuting us. The problem is Philip wakes up one day and he's preaching in Samaria. Has that ever happened to you? You ever spent a whole lot of time asking God why something happened only to figure out that was the way that his promise would end up being fulfilled in your life? So don't miss the promise just because it looks different. 
The persecution that Saul of Tarsus leveled against the new believers in Jerusalem forced them into Judea and Samaria. So here's what I know. If Jesus would have stood on the Mount of Olives and said, hey, listen, I'm getting ready to ascend into heaven and you're going to preach one day in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. But the way I'm going to get you into Judea and Samaria is I'm going to have Stephen stoned to death. (laughs) Sounds like a great plan to me. You say, well, Chris, I don't believe God causes evil. Nope. But it says specifically that he will use everything the devil tries to do to advance his gospel. Amen. Romans eight twenty eight. for all things work together for good. Now, I know we have to be very careful with this because when I pray, when I pray that prayer, uh, Lord, all things work together for good. That means this difficulty I'm walking through right now is going to cease and you're going to just fix everything so that I'm happy. And that everything's going the way I want it. And that's how I define good. But you know what's good? When other people hear the gospel. Amen? So what happens is, Saul is breathing murderous threats and they stone Stephen to death. And then we start chapter 8 with Saul approved of his killing and started just chasing Christians. And then all of a sudden, Judea and Samaria are being evangelized by the new church. And nobody was saying, hey, we got to get this vision statement right. No. Was the devil trying to kill the church? Absolutely. Was God using everything the devil's trying to do to spread the church to a place that the devil couldn't kill it? Absolutely. So often in our lives, what we do is we say, this isn't working out the way I thought it was going to work out. So God's promises are dead. And God says, my promises are just alive in you as they were the day I said it. And you have to be confident in me that every bump in the road is going to be used to get you exactly where I wanted you to go. So in chapter one of Acts, you hear, you're going to go into the whole world. And in chapter eight, you find out the way you get to the whole world is being scattered by persecution. Not some grand missionary design. Nope, Saul of Tarsus came and then the gospel was preached everywhere. So here's what I want to tell you this morning. Whatever you're walking through today will work out for good. Come on, there should have been a lot more amens in that. Whatever you're walking through in this current moment, you have to trust that God is using that to position you to fulfill everything he has promised you. Every promise, every promise is true in Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us. It just doesn't say every promise works out according to your Google calendar. It, just, it doesn't say every promise works out according to, the, according to you never having to walk through a difficulty. According to you never having to walk through something that's uncomfortable. It doesn't say that. It says every promise will come true, but sometimes it'll come true on the back of really difficult times. So Samaria gets the gospel because Christians couldn't stay in Jerusalem. If you look at persecution around the world, it still spreads the gospel faster than anything else you can ever imagine. When governments clamp down on churches, the gospel explodes. Look across the globe and see some of the most difficult places to be a Christian you can ever imagine and what's happening. The gospel is exploding across those nations. 
It's not getting less. It's, it's getting bigger. And so God is still today going, okay, you're trying to wipe it out. I'll make it so big that you could never dream of wiping it out. And he did that in the first century church. So just because it looks different doesn't mean the promise isn't still true. So they go to Samaria. Did I mention Jews hated Samaritans? Yeah. I think it's a good rule of thumb not to hate people. You may end up having to live with them. Anybody married today? Your father-in-law? Yeah, just work that out. Mother-in-law, just work that out. Yep. Neighbor, you better work it out. Because all of a sudden, Jews are living in Samaria. Scattered. All of a sudden, Jews are living in Samaria. Jewish Christians are all of a sudden living in Samaria. Here's the irony. Samaritans were looking for Messiah as well. We know that back from the conversation Jesus had with the woman at the well, and I'll get to that in a second, but Jew, er, Samaritans were looking for a Messiah as well. They didn't use all the scriptures that the Jews used, but Samaritans did go back to the, the beginning books like Deuteronomy, and they would say, oh, wait a second, there, there is a Messiah coming. So the gospel breaks down every barrier. Do you realize that, don't you? The gospel penetrates Every barrier set up by man. It's like almost God says, I can break down with the message of Christ every ounce of hate somebody could have for somebody else. And here's how I'll do it. I'll send the one that hates people to the one that was hated and preach a message of grace through them. Jeez. (laughs) You can't make this stuff up. It's like a novel with a twist every page. You realize that, right? This nationality of people hated this nationality of people, but in order for this nationality to hear the gospel, I'm going to send this nationality to them. But I'm going to beat this one up to get them over there. Can't make it up. So Philip, a Jew, goes to Samaria and starts preaching the gospel. And there's enough grace in the gospel that it doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter where you're from. And everybody is flat even at the foot of the cross. It does not matter anymore. Because when Philip shows up, he doesn't, Philip, he doesn't show up as Philip the Jew. He showed up, shows up as Philip the one forgiven by Jesus. And I'm telling you, if you want a great equalizer, you show up to the cross and you'll be just as sinful as the next person. Amen? When we show up to the cross, there's nothing good. We have all sinned. It doesn't, it doesn't say people that look like, it says everybody has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we get to the cross. And so when we bring people to the cross, we remind ourselves what we've received. Amen? So the cross breaks down every single barrier. And so the Jewish Christian goes into Samaria and says, listen, I found a savior. His name is Jesus and he can save you just like he saved me. This is a new, this is a new message. 
you know what the church could do? We can, we could stop telling people they need a savior and introduce them to the one we have. That's a different message. It's a different message standing back, telling somebody they're going to hell and telling somebody, come meet somebody that saved me from hell. Okay. You guys are little, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. Come meet somebody that saved me. Come meet somebody that saved me. Not you're going to hell if you don't act like, no, come meet somebody that redeemed me. That's the gospel message. And that's what Philip was doing. So he gets there, breaks down every barrier, but listen, there's always somebody that comes before you. You do realize that, right? We're not the first church. Even if we named it first hope, we ain't the first ones. Here's what you find out. You go back to the gospels in John and you find out Jesus had already been in Samaria laying the groundwork. So Jesus and John, I believe it's John chapter four, Jesus goes in there and he tells, I love the King James version of it. I don't even know why they said it this way, but I can just remember my dad saying he must needs go to Samaria. And I thought, that sounds important. I tell my kids, you must needs clean up your room. <laughs> Jesus looked at the disciples that were falling around and said, I have to go this way. And they had learned like, Okay. I'm going to ask him why I got to go this way. So he goes that way and he, um, he ends up there in Samaria at a well, the disciples are hungry. So they go off into the town to get food. Funny part is when they come back and say, Hey, are you hungry? He says, I have food that you know not of. And they're like looking at each other, like where you get the food. He's sitting at the well when a Samaritan woman walks up to him and he says, Hey, could you give me a drink? And she said, how is it that you, a Jew, remember you thought I was just making up the race thing. How is it that you, a Jew, asked me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? He said, if you knew who it was that asked you for a drink, you'd ask me for living water, that you would thirst no more. And she said, okay, tell me where it is. They have a discussion about true worship and, and, how, and how it's all going to work out. And he ends up telling her, I'm the one you're looking for. Then they end up having a discussion. He says, bring your husband out. And she says, I don't have a husband. He says, yeah, I know. You've had, you've had a pretty rough life. And he gives her some intimate details about how many times she'd been married and who she was with now. And, but let me tell you this, he doesn't do it with a skinny little long pointed finger at her as if she was going to hell. He does it with a compassionate heart. And the reason I know that is because she runs into the town and tells her friends, come out and see a man that's told me everything about myself. So the Bible says the town comes out to Jesus and meets the savior of the world. You know what the irony is in this? The one that John says at the beginning of John, that the word was with God and the word was God. And he, and he talks about how, how nothing on this earth was created without him. Everything was created by him. That very guy stood at a well and talked to a woman who said, how could you ask me for a drink? And he said, if you knew who I was, I'm the one that made sure you got up and breathed this morning. And I'm asking you to come be with me. Man, that's amazing. So Jesus is standing with the woman at the well. She brings everybody out with her and they meet him. Fast forward, Jesus died and resurrected. Philip shows up in Samaria. I believe he probably walked through that town. I can't prove it. But Jesus had already laid the groundwork. And so he starts saying, hey, Jesus of Nazareth. Hey, wait a second. My aunt, my aunt told me about some guy years ago. 
that she met at a well and she believed he was the Messiah. Now this other guy is showing up telling me the same thing. The groundwork's already laid, church. Philip shows up reaping the harvest of something Jesus had sowed years before. Do you realize how much benefit we have that a church like this can just reap a harvest that other people laid the groundwork for? Not amazing. Breaks down every barrier, every single barrier. The band's gonna come up. I got two more points. You gonna stay with me? All right, just checking, half of you. Verse 26, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So verse 27, so he started out. I love that. Verse 29, the the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Verse 30, then Philip ran towards the chariot. I'm gonna say this again. Verse 26, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south of the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Verse 27, so he started out. Do you know there's no verse, there's no 26B? There's no verse in between 26 and 27. In 26, angel of the Lord came to Philip and said, go to the ro- this road. In verse 27, it says, he started out. It doesn't record any discussion about what, how he's going to do it, why he's going to do it. Doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't say he, he had some conditions on how he could do it. Nothing. Then we get to verse 29. The spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. Verse 30. Then Philip ran towards the chariot, ran up to the chariot. Let let me say this. Faith is lived out one step at a time. One step at a time. One step at a time. God often gives you one step. That's it. I know that drives some of you absolutely insane because you have to plan your life out six months in advance. You got to know when this is going to happen, when that's going to happen, when that's going to happen. Oh my goodness, I got to go. We got to have a schedule. Go walk down that road. Yeah, but what am I going to do when I get there? Yeah, but God, I need to know more. You know my personality type. Start walking, Philip. That's all the angel told him. Go down, walk down that road. Walk up to the chariot. Faith is not proven by what you... I, I, I never figured out how to, how to say this. Faith is not proven by what you don't do. It's what you do do. We need more do-do in our lives. Does that make sense? Faith is, listen, some of you have grown up that faith is proving out because you don't sin. Oh, they have faith because they stopped cussing. They have faith because they started living a certain way. They have faith. No, no, no. But every time in scripture, faith was proven out by action. Not what you don't do. I've seen plenty of well-meaning Christians do nothing but think they're full of faith because they're not sinning. Actually, we may be sinning just as much because James comes along and tells us for somebody to know the right thing to do and not do it, that's sin. So when God says, hey, Philip, walk down the road, he goes, yep, I'm walking. One verse, walk down the road. The second verse, he starts walking. You know what he doesn't ask for? He doesn't ask for a sign. He doesn't say, I need to see a double rainbow. He doesn't see, uh, well, my wife needs to fix me some bacon and eggs in the morning with a coffee just the way I want it. That'll be a sign that you really want me to do this. Nothing. 
And we make God through jump through like government hoops before we obey him. Like, Lord, if you could fill out this waiver, make sure if this messes up that you're liable for everything that's getting ready to happen to me. I'd like to, I'd appreciate that if we come into a con, some type of negotiation to make sure that I'm going to end up okay for this. No, no, no. Philip just started walking. There wasn't a lot of explanation. There wasn't a lot of, there wasn't negotiation. There wasn't anything like Gideon back in the day where there was a fleece, but Lord, are you sure you want me to do it? Do this tomorrow. Do this today. Do that. No, Philip just started walking in a life of faith looks like that. You don't have to understand everything to do something. You don't have to understand everything to start doing something. And in our oversaturated information world, we want to know everything about everything before we will do anything. And the scripture paints people of faith as, God, you gave me one step and I took it. One step and I took it. One step and I took it. One step. How do you do that? I don't know. He told me to start walking. So I just started walking. And then here's what we find out at the end. We find out that God always confirms faith after we take the first step. He never confirms it before we do anything. He never says, hey, I just want to give you a guarantee. No, you take the first step and then faith is confirmed. It's always obedience and then confirmation. Do you get it? Stand to your feet. Watch what happens. Philip starts walking down the road. Starts walking down the road. And what's he see? He sees an Ethiopian coming back from worshiping. Now, what's the chance of that? Here's an African that went to worship the one true God. He's actually an official. Went to worship. He's he's returning. Philip happens to walk down this road and he sees him. Now, he hears angels say then, hey, go up to the chariot, stay close to it. Yeah, but I mean, do you mean that chariot? Do you mean, are we specific, like, well, which chariot are you talking about? No, just go stay close to that chariot. And in and the next verse, he runs up to the chariot. You want confirmation? He runs up to the chariot and he hears the Ethiopian reading from Isaiah about Jesus. Have you ever done something in your life where you, where you obeyed God and then at the end of that obedience, you just went, oh, you've got to be kidding me. You've got, I was just talking with somebody the other day that said, hey, you know what? I just bumped into somebody and they were doing this whole like, hey, man, God told me this and I was going to do it. But then, but then you showed up today and I was thinking, oh my goodness, I can't believe you showed up today. Can you imagine Philip? He has been exiled from the country he was living in. Now he's in Samaria. Now God told him to leave the ministry that was blowing up and walk down this road for some weird reason. He walks down the road. He hears somebody reading about Jesus. I would have stood beside the chariot and went, dude, you have got to be kidding me right now. Hey, you know what you're reading? No, nah, man, you want to get in the, you want to get in and tell me what it is? You don't say. He gets in, he explains Jesus to him, and the guy says, I'll be baptized right now. If you're looking for confirmation, take a step of faith. If you're looking for confirmation, take a step of faith. If you're looking for confirmation, take a step of faith. If you're looking for confirmation, take a step of faith. Here's what I see people do all the time. Look, Lord, confirm it, and then I'll step. And you know what you end up doing? Staying in the same spot your whole life waiting on God to confirm something that he just wanted you to step out and do. 
That's what faith is called. It's Hebrews 11. It says it's the confirmation. It's the assurance of things I haven't seen yet. I don't even know what I'm supposed to do when I get there. But I have the faith that God wants me to walk down that road. Father, we ask you this morning, Lord, to break down every barrier with the gospel. We ask you to confirm in our hearts that no matter how difficult it gets, your promise is true every time. That you are working it out meticulously in our lives. And if it seems like it's on pause, there is no chance that it's on pause. You are just masterfully weaving it in and out and in and out and all. And you are working it out to the best. We pray that you give us the strength to hold up our end. And when you ask us, God, we pray that we be able to step every time without question, without fail. We pray that you give us the faith to step and then see a confirmation. We pray, Lord, that even in this time, that you give us the ability to step into circumstances where the gospel would break down every barrier that Satan has set up to separate us. We thank you for that. And we know it's your will, Lord. Go with us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, could you give him praise and honor this morning? He's good. Amen. Hey, listen, encourage somebody, stay out of each other's face, and we'll see you back here next week.